Welcome everyone, you are listening to the Art of Touring podcast. This is an interview style podcast where I talk with musicians, performers and sometimes wrestlers. I am your host, the Sizz Dog. Thanks for joining me. How are you? You alright? Hey, you feeling pretty good? I'm not too shabby. Hey, on this uh, Sunday evening, I'm recording this intro uh, a little bit earlier than usual because uh, this week I'm heading into the uh, city tomorrow night, uh, so I won't be able to record it then. But good news on the car front. If you are a regular listener, you know I've had some car troubles. I picked up the Dog Mobile on Friday morning and it looks great. Not that uh, I'm much of a car guy, but it's nice to have the car back. Uh, what else has been going on? I took the kids to the beach today. First time ever they've ever seen the ocean and been in, in the into the beach and the sand and all that gear. Uh, we went down to Karam Beach. Took about an hour and a half to get down there, but uh, you know I can see why people invest in a beach house. Having to drive back after going to the beach is brutal. I made it about twenty minutes before I had to tap my wife on the shoulder and say, "Hey, can you drive? Can you drive the rest of the way home?" I was staffed. This week on the podcast, I got to chat with Rusty Brown from Electric Mary. Rusty is the third member of Electric Mary I've had on the podcast, and uh, it was awesome to catch up with Rusty. Uh, Keep listening to hear Rusty's uh, story that he tells uh, on the podcast where he survived a very close call on the road uh, and the highways of Australia where one of his old bandmates decided to grab the wheel. It was unbelievable. So listen out for that one. Art of Touring is brought to you every single Tuesday. You can listen to Art of Touring on iTunes or on the Google Podcasts app on your Android device. And remember, Art of Touring is part of the A Lot of Green Podcast Network, and you can check out all their other awesome podcasts on their network at www.alotofgreen.com.au. There is some course language in this week's episode, so if you are listening with kids, it might be a good idea to drop them off at the pool. And then once they're, uh, once they're out of earshot, throw out of touring back on now let's take a moment for this week's sponsor episode 40 of art of touring is brought to you this week by patches o'houlihan's dodgeball academy do you need help with your dodgeball game then come to patches o'houlihan's dodgeball academy where you'll learn the five d's of dodgeball dodge dip dive duck and dodge we're gonna learn to be true dodgeballers then you've got to learn the five D's of dodgeball. Dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. If you master the five D's, no amount of balls on earth can hit you. Quibbing, go ahead. Me or... Yeah, um, shouldn't we, like, learn by dodging balls that are thrown at us, or...? That's what this sack of wrenches is for. You can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. What? Any other questions? Oh my god! Yeah, uh, Patches. Are you sure that this is completely necessary? Uh, Necessary? Is it necessary for me to drink my own urine? Probably not. No, but I do it anyway because it's sterile and I like the taste. Okay. And if you're going to lead this squad to the floor, you've got to learn to do the dance in the dark. Yeah, put that on. 
So you know, Art of Touring is hosted by Wooshka. If you'd like to listen on your desktop, you can just Google Art of Touring and follow the links to the Wooshka homepage. Before I get into my conversation with Rusty, I'd like to share with you a track off Electric Mary's brand new album, which drops in February at the Memo Music Hall. This one is a song called Woman. Check it out. Here we go. There's a little taste of Electric Mary's new album. The track we heard there is called Woman, and the new album is called Mother. Uh, You can also check out the film clip for that song right now on YouTube. It is super cool. I liken it to like an Australian Nana kind of Pink Floyd live at Pompeii kind of vibe. It's very cool, man. You should check it out. Now let's hear my conversation with the front man, Rusty Brown.
Welcome, everybody. You are listening to the Art of Touring podcast. I am your host, the Sizdog. We are sitting in the very cool uh, area this evening, uh, the main house uh, at Pembroke Street here in Epping, um, because it has been a ridiculously hot day, over 30 degrees in Melbourne town. Uh, so it's nice and comfortable, which is great because I have uh, the front man of Electric Mary, Mr. Rusty Brown in the house. How are you, Rusty? I'm very good, actually. I was nowhere near the sun today. Oh, yeah. Where were you? Uh, hanging out in a lounge room in the wonderful Ocean Grove. Oh, nice. It wasn't as hot down there. Maybe middle 20s and a little bit above, maybe. Mate, you escaped so it. So it was nice, but I just laid on the couch. Yeah. Yeah. Have rested. you got a place down there? or No, I was at um, Jason Singh's house. Oh, yeah. Singer of uh, Taxi Ride. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I was just hanging out with him. This is he's, uh, I'm actually wearing his hat that he gave me for his latest album. Oh, right on. Valet, which is uh, a bunch of songs of uh, The Dearly Departed, which is it's pretty good, actually. Yeah. Ah. Mm. So... Of the local scene or more like hero kind of thing? Yeah, more, yeah, Bowie. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> Bowie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know who I'm talking about, Jeff Barkley. Yeah, yeah. Um, Freddie Mercury. Stone Temple Pass. No, Freddie. No, no Freddie. Freddie. No. No. What, Stone Temple? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, Stone Temple Pilots. Uh, Scott Whalen. Yes. Uh, yeah, heaps. There's yeah. heaps on there. Uh, Far out. In excess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So that's a local. Yeah. Nice. Because you have done, or it's coming up, the tribute to David Bowie? Yeah, it's been. It was on um, Thursday night. How did it go? On the 10th. It was very good. They nice. sold it out. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Which is um, leading us on to do a couple more because basically people couldn't get in. So wow. if we do a few more... In the next little period, I think we'll safely say that we got to all the people that wanted to hear Bowie again. I mean, it's a little bit weird for me because um, uh, there was a guy afterwards who said, um, hey, you were great tonight, man. I didn't imagine you singing like that, though. Hmm. And I said, oh, what do you mean? He said, oh, you know, because you've got that raspy rock and roll. I said, yeah, but... Everyone has a secondary voice when they're singers. Mm. And he's like, you just looked me puzzled. And I said, well, I was watching um, uh, Johnson from ACDC. He's got a car show. Hmm. And uh, he was driving around a T-model Ford, right? Right. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, no, it makes me want to sing. <laughs> and he just went... It's a long way to Tipperary. And I went, that's your voice. Yeah, right. That's your singing voice. Yeah. But the, <laughs> that we know and the, <laughs> that I know mm. is, you know. Um, kind of put on thing that he does for the. Well, it's a head voice thing. It's not your. Yeah. You know, for me, it's my head voice too when I sing. Electric Mary, that's how I do it. Head yeah. voice with speech level singing. Mm. I don't sing loud. I sing quietly. Um, there's a few a few that do speech level singing. Um, actually, one of the Bowie guys, Gary Pinto, is the same. He's an R&B singer. Yeah, right. But he doesn't sing any louder than this. Yeah. Mm, mm, speech level singing, Seth Riggs. 
There you go. So you certainly had a lovely time today. I've had a great time today. Oh, that's good, man. I had a great time doing the Bowie. He, it, I, I really like David Bowie. Yeah. And it takes me out of my comfort zone too. Mm. You know, Electric Mary for me is, um, you know, that's my true love. Yes. Took me a long time to find it. Yeah. And with the help of, um, you know, many musicians who have been in and out of Electric Mary. Yeah. We have a certain thing that we do. Mm. And when I step on stage and do that, I'm at my most comfortable. Yeah, right on. I know what's happening and, yeah, I enjoy that. You feel at home. I feel at home. I went very dry the other day when I was doing Bowie. Mm. My mouth and he was like, oh, no. But it was, a, it was fine. It was yeah, really good. Nice one, man. Thank you. Excuse me, I'm having a Pepsi. No, have a, have a sip there. Um, so, yeah, tell me where you're from, mate. Where did you grow up? Where? So I grew up not far from here, actually. Really? I grew up in the northern suburbs, a place called West Heidelberg. Oh, West Heidelberg, yeah, yeah. Yes, which is very famous for um, criminals or sportsmen. Yeah. Musicians, I'm not sure. When I was younger, I think a guitarist in Waterdale Road left to be to join the Eurogliders. Hmm. Um, Pseudo Echo, what's his name, the singer? Um, I should know. Not sure. He joined, uh, he used to live in Liberty Parade. Okay. Yes, and then he moved out to Bandura, close to you. Oh, Bundy, yeah, right. And, yeah, I can't think of any more. There might have been an earlier one in the 60s that came out of West Island of me. Yeah, yeah. But we're mainly known for... Um, criminals i shouldn't say that most of those <laughs> well it was people, a rough um, area back in the day it's still kind of rough now but yeah. you know they, they've done a lot to you know clean the place up because it wasn't it that the area where they had in the 50s um they had the uh the olympic village yeah that's right and then they turned that into 56, just um, yeah. general housing yeah. and, and wasn't really policed very well and it kind of got a bit of a hotbed for crime or whatever well a lot of people came from um Port Melbourne, South Melbourne. A lot of wharfies came and lived in um, West Heidelberg. So, you know, yeah. back in the day, the, and probably still now, the wharfies were the the tough guys, you know. Yeah, right. And so their kids probably grew up the same way. Mm. Um, my dad was a wharfie, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we grew up with some weird and wonderful characters, and they're still around now. I actually... I actually still hang out there and go watch local football there. I still love that club that I've known since I was like eight years old. Sure. Yeah, North Heidelberg. There you go. Yeah. And uh, where did you go to school, mate? I went to school in, in West Heidelberg at a place called St. Pius the Tenth. Yeah. Brought up a good Catholic, nice. Um, <clears throat> I was an altar boy. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you should say about the, because it crossed my mind, as you were saying, it was a rough area. mm well, I used to walk over a mile, which is for everyone who's older, um, <laughs> every morning about uh, quarter past five. Yeah, right. As a 11-year-old? Yeah. To go to to be a altar boy at 6.30 mass. Whoa. People would go to mass before they went to um, to work and stuff. Yes. So, yeah. There's no way in the world you would let a kid, 11-year-old, 5.30, walk to a mile by themselves now. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, it's not going to happen. No, it's not happening. No. 
Gosh. And then I was a paper boy, of course, so I used to get up at 10 past four. Whoa. I was a little older then, probably 13 or 14. Yeah. Ride my bike around, deliver the papers. Far out. 10 past four. I had to be in Southern Road at 4.30, I think. Jeez. Yeah. Who would do that now? Not a chance. <laughs> I didn't get my first, like, job job until I left school at 18. I worked at yeah. the pizza shop and then at the Greek restaurant, you know. Um, so the idea of working at that age is very alien to, to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Well, it was just like your pocket money. I yeah. I, I used to earn uh, $4.80, which wouldn't get you very far now. No, yeah, but back then that would have been a lot. Yeah. Yeah, right. And how did music enter your life at that age? Was Were you interested in music as, as a primary school student? Yeah. So my um, father left us. We didn't see him for about 35 years. That's a different story. So I used to hang out with my older brother. I had an older brother. Yes. He's nine years older than me. Mm. And he was the Joe Cocker, Jimi Hendrix. And because I looked up to him and he used to take me everywhere with him. Um, Not to gigs, of course, because I was young. But, you know, if he had a girlfriend, I went... He probably plonked me in another room where he went and kissed and cuddled and all that stuff. But I went to a lot of places with him. And, yeah. Um, yeah, he had a drum kit. I used to get into a lot of trouble for touching his drum kit. Because, oh, really? Yes, because even though I'm right-handed, I used to take the hi-hat and put it on the ride cymbal side so I could play open-handed like that. Ah. I liked that instead of cross-handed. I played open-handed. I'm um, with you. <clears throat> And, uh, yeah, I had to make sure I put them back in their space. Yeah, yeah. so I learned a lot, of, a lot of my early music was Joe Cocker, Jimi Hendrix. Yes. Um, Clapton he loved. Chicago he loved. Chicago is a band that I still love too. Mm. The early Chicago before they started having those 80s hits, which yeah. are okay too, I suppose. But Yeah, yeah. So all 70s. And then um, it was at school, my music teacher was... Mr. Compte and Miss Missingham. So from what I remember, and I do believe that as you get older, your brain doesn't actually remember it, how it happened, but you still have the story. So Miss Missingham was hot, (laughs) I do believe. Mr. Compte was gay, I do believe, but we didn't talk about it then. But he was a great guy. Yeah. And uh, he said, uh, you know, we're doing a production of Oliver. Nice. Who can sing? And I was like this, and I think somebody probably said, you know, he can. <laughs> he goes, okay, get it. Oh, I, don't, I don't sing, I don't sing. Anyway, I was in Oliver. I was Mr. Bumble. Mr. Bumble? Yes. He sang, Oliver, Oliver, never before has a boy wanted more. Oh, yes, yes. Yes, I was Mr. Bumble. So this uh, would have been in high school then? This was high school. Oh, what, what year? Like... Oh, I would have been 13 or 14, I suppose. Oh, about year eight, year nine? Yep, yep. Oh, sorry. Form no. two. Form two, <laughs> sorry, yes, form two. So let's say form two because I left in halfway through form four. So about form two, anyway, Yeah. this this was the, cr- the cruncher. So I sang that mm. first day. Two things happened. Everyone patted me on the back the next day which I wasn't used to. Right. It's like, oh, this feels pretty good. 
Right. So I don't have to worry about footy anymore. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And then I met a guy, Brett Walker, who said he was in a year above me. And, uh, you know, people looked – he was a funny guy and a, he was a muser. And he's like, hey, you're singing in me band. That's just what's Oh, yeah, happening. but I don't, I don't – yeah, yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was the one, actually, huh. who he loved Bowie – status quo slayed because it was i'm not sure if it was the skinhead years but maybe the skinhead years and skinheads loved bowie slade huh. status quo all those bands right yeah and so he he took me under his wing taught me a lot of stuff and you know we played gigs we played very early we played with a band at olympic village the band was called red house and funny because I was listening to your podcast with Pete Robinson. My first band's name was Eclipse, and so was his. But different bands. Different bands because he was in Queensland. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, we were called Eclipse. And do you you didn't realise that until you'd listened to the podcast. I'd never heard him talk so much in my whole life. <laughs> well, I've only known him for fifteen years, but yeah, yeah, sixteen yeah. years actually. His stories were great because. They don't marry up with how I think things happened. Yeah. <laughs> so. Some conflicting stories there. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. We played together at the Evelyn. Ah. So Mr. Brown was my band and he's was Sneak. Definitely. Yes. We would have chatted a little bit. Yeah. It was at the corner hotel of the gig for Reggie, which he mentioned in there, mm -hmm. that I believe I asked him, what are you doing Next. Yes. Yes. And he saw us play and he's like, uh, and I said to him, I remember saying this, do you want to make a band like we would have made when we were 16? Yeah. And he's looked at me and he's like, I said, well, you know, let's just play songs and write songs. Yes. And if there's long solos or drum solos or ice cream, like, let's just do that. Yeah. Because... You know, when Nirvana came along, and I know, sorry, folks, we're going around a bit of a circle, but when Nirvana came along, you know, solos were out. Yeah. They were gone. No, they were gone. Yeah. Um, any dressing like the man in the street came in, mm. which still disappoints me to today. Yeah. Because now the guy on stage looks exactly like the guy in Brunswick Street. Yeah. But actually the guy in Brunswick Street looks better than the guy on stage. Stage, yeah. Because now he's cool and he's got the big earrings and he's got the yep. – they didn't do bad for – before you used to look up to the guy on stage and go, wow, yeah, I want to be got like that. Or girl, sorry. The, you know, the window dressing of yeah. the performance, yeah. But and now the window kind – of yeah, the window dressing was a flannelette shirt, <laughs> usually <laughs> wrapped around your waist. Yeah. And – Maybe five oh ones or whatever, and a mm. and a t shirt, some, yeah. and that's still the look now. It annoys me when people go on stage and that's how they look. Yeah, some wear it well. Yeah. Alex wears it well. Yeah. That's his thing. Mm. But he's that rock and roll guy, you know. Mm. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, Brett Walker, you're the blame. <laughs> 
And so you joined a band with Brett Walker, and that was called Eclipse, mm-hmm. which is a, a really interesting um, correlation with, between um, Pete Robinson's first band. What, what a bizarre thing. And um, you were saying, did you actually get to go out and play live gigs in front of people with that band? Yep, yep. We did We did shows at um, Olympic Village. Um, I've forgotten what it's called now. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We played with a band called Red House. Oh, you were saying, yeah. Which has John Dallimore in it. Do you know John Dallimore? No. He still plays now. Brilliant. He plays with a band called the Screaming Eagles. Oh. I think they do Eagles covers, but they do other stuff as well. Okay. He's, he used to have long curly hair. He's he's older than me by probably maybe 10 years, but he's that good. Nice. He was Brian May of Australia. Wow. Yeah, he picked that up very early and that was his style. He used to play a white Liz Paul and he was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and he's still around now. Great singer too. He's just, yeah, we did a gig. I think I was about 14 when we played. Most of our songs were terrible. We may have played a couple of covers. And maybe a little bit later than that, we changed our name to, I want to say None. None? N-U-N. Whoa. I want to say that, but I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because this is the mid-80s, isn't it? Or late, early 80s. Mid-70s. Oh, mid-70s. Remember how old I am, folks. No, I remember because you said that Pete had that band Eclipse and I just assumed that that was an 80s-sounding no. name, but it was a 70s-sounding name. There you go. So, yeah, so I think we changed it to none. Yeah, right. Um, our bass player, Dean Sewell, uh, loved Kiss. He'd imported Kiss records and all of a sudden mm. we were playing a lot of Kiss records. So I was very Deep Purple. Um, sorry, a lot of Kiss songs. I was very Deep Purple. Yeah. Uh, our drummer, Colin Trott, he was very Deep Purple. Brady was, you know, he was Slade, Status Quo, Bowie. He, he liked all that stuff. And yeah. Dean was Kiss mad and played a lot of Kiss songs and Trotty hated Kiss. He oh. hated it. He hated it. We played mostly Kiss songs. We played, I'm telling you now, we played like Rock and Roll All Night before it was released here because Dean had imported the records from America. Whoa. It's not like now. No. So we're playing all these songs and people going, hey, you guys are pretty good. And you know, I guess we were thinking, yeah, we are. We, I didn't really think that, you know, about being a cover band or whatever we were then. But uh, Yeah. Yeah, so then that, that finished, I probably went back to playing footy a bit. I loved footy. Yeah. Not great at it, but I uh, loved it. And Breddy went away, punk came. So Brett had a band called La Femme. Right. And they were pretty uh, big, especially in Melbourne. Um, you got to remember, folks, this is a time. So we're getting to maybe 78, 79 now. Sure. I probably jumped a couple of years, but That's okay. we, we played around. 78, 79, when I started going to pubs, you went to a pub five or six nights a week to watch a band. That's what you did. Yeah. Right? It's not about drinking and getting hammered. So DJs played great songs, all the great songs. Molly Meldrum was at the Croc on a Thursday night. And then in between 
um, Dragon would play, Minotto would play, Coaches would play, the Angels would play, all the big bands of the day. And in between their breaks, Molly Meldrum would play Van Halen's, um, you know, Running with the Devil or something. He'd play right. something like that. Yeah. Um, and it, so that's but, how he got his start by being a, a no, DJ. No, he was clubs. already he was already known, but he still did that. Oh, okay, right. Molly was already known. I can't remember when. Um, surely Countdown was mid mid seventies. That makes sense. Yeah, it yeah. was. It yeah, was. Yeah. But he would still. So he was on the telly, and he would still go out in the he clubs. He would go and do out that into scene. the clubs and huh. um, play the new music, whatever it was. It could have been Van and it could have been Patrick Hernandez. Yeah. But you know, people listen to music. That's what they did. Music yes. Music was a massive thing in the seventies, all the way to probably the mid eighties when people started going, you know what, if I play covers, I could probably make a couple hundred bucks a night doing this. Huh. And everything changed because the landscape was changing right. in the music scene and they and they sort of, um, well, in 83, I joined a band called uh, The Spaniards. Yes. Um, they had two lead singers. One was Mick Peeling, who played with the Stars. He'd already been there. He was signed to a Mushroom and stuff. Um, and Billy Miller was the other singer, and he was in a band called The Ferrets. Hmm. And they had a hit called Don't Fall In Love. City girls have got night lights in their eyes. Great song. Um, so they had a band. Their bass player left. And I think... Pretty sure his name was Bill Fowle. He was with... So there was two um, agencies back then, Premier yes. and Nucleus. Nucleus. And then Nucleus, Bill Fowle, left to make Dirty Pool. Hmm. And he took with him the divine... He took all the good rock bands. Wow. Um, Is and that there how was, long Premier's been going? Oh, Premier's been around forever. Frank Shit. has been around forever. Wow. Yeah. And and Gadinsky as well. Yeah. Yeah, mid seventies, whatever, yeah, they've been around. Far out. Mm. So Nucleus was um get this though, let me interject here on myself. Um there was a guy at Nucleus called John Sinclair. John Sinclair. Around seventy seven. Do you know what he wanted to call me? He wanted me to call myself, actually. Prince. Huh. Because pri- we didn't know Prince. Right. Yeah. So he wanted to call you Prince. Yeah. Could you imagine that? As a, <laughs> as a stage name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. Prince. Like three or four years before. Oh, no, no. I reckon we came, Prince came. I, pe- I think people found him. You know, there's great, there's great people probably in your neighborhood here now who were great musical researchers yes like they might have driven a truck or they might have made bread in a shop but when they liked music they really searched it out yeah like you can find stuff really easy now obviously everything is but not back then no and and that was their joy or you know to bring an album to a party and i remember my my uh friend of ours Stephen doherty brought 
um, The Police's first album and no one heard it. Oh, man. Yeah, and he put it on and everyone just went nuts like, what is this? That's what happened. People did it at parties and stuff. That that is a complete lost cultural activity. Yeah. I've never even heard of that and I'm 38. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like. He was that guy. He was a carpenter, but he loved music and he searched and he would get um, uh, magazines from overseas and they would tell him, you know, because in Australia we were always two or three years behind. Right. Because that's how far nobody's behind anymore because it's worldwide release on February the 15th. Yeah. Electric Mary Mother. It goes out everywhere. Yes. But back in the day, it might have gone to England, but we might not, We wouldn't have got it straight away. Yeah, like a local release first and then yeah. let's see how it goes there and then we'll you know maybe do it for different territories first to see how it goes. Kind of like movie releases as well. Yeah. We'll open it in just a couple of theatres first, see how it goes. And that sort of stuff even happened with bands. Yeah. Um, you know, this is how ABBA happened in Australia. Why wasn't this just a worldwide phenomenon? We were the ones that really found them. Yeah. I remember in, uh, again, I'll probably go crisscrossing my years, folks. Um, Matchbox 20 sold out the Evelyn. Yeah. The Evelyn? The Evelyn. Matchbox 20? Yeah, because you know what they used to do? Any band from, uh, especially Americans, that they were unsure of how to deal with got sent to Australia like a prisoner from England. <laughs> they got sent to Australia. Yeah. We, we would go, okay, he's an American band. Yeah. We're going to watch it. Yeah. They would come back with paper cuttings of saying sold out, that, and that was their story to go with. Otherwise, what do you do with them? Do they just go around American little towns and try and build it that way or go to Australia? Where we're just thirsty for anything. Thirsty for anything. We're thirsty Merc. That is wild. Mm. Yeah. Jeez. And that was part of it. Even in the 90s. Oh, I reckon, I, what year were they, are they 90s, were they? Yeah, man, yeah, no, I, I remember them breaking out on the scene around 96, 97, because yeah. I, it's so funny you were saying Nirvana and all that, because that was like really, not so much Nirvana, but kind of Pearl Jam was, was my um, mm-hmm. was my jam as a kid. Um, and then when the Matchbox 20 band came out, it was kind of more pop rock, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this stuff sucks. You know, mm-hmm. now as, as an older guy, I can appreciate appreciate those guys for what they were doing at the time but um but back then i was like oh this sucks this isn't like the stuff that i was into kind of like you know what your mates were in the band saying you know oh this kiss i don't like kiss i like slade i like bowie yeah yeah there's always going to be those kind of correlations between bands and and you know finding your little pocket like well this is what i identify with yeah this is what i like but then the other guys in the band or my friends at footy or whatever like this stuff Mm. you know and as b- being an Australian, it's even harder because it's even harder to find people that like the thing that you like because there's not as many of us down here. Yeah. You know, whereas in the States, you're, it's easier to find people that like the things that you like because there's so many more of them. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Actually, funny you should say there actually is a guy at our footy club, <laughs> Bobby Edwards. That's what he does. He found me The Strokes. <laughs> he found me some other bands that I'd never heard of before. And it's like, yeah, right. Listen to these. It's like, wow. Yeah. I even know these guys. You're a footy guy. You know more than me. I'm yeah, in the, I'm right. in the position, yeah. He's mad for it, though. He loves it. 
he goes, you know, he takes trips around the world and goes, there's actually a couple of them. Mm. They take trips and go to festivals because they know they're going to see it there. Yeah, right. You know, it's awesome. Yeah, they like to have the finger on the pulse. They certainly do. <laughs> and so you're, um, you're cutting your teeth on the scene, um, playing in all these different bands. Um, I think the last timeline, I remember, if we just go back a couple of minutes, mm. you were talking about um, a band you were in around 78, 79. Yeah. That- um, what was next after that? Oh, that's right. You're going to be called Prince, but obviously that didn't. Oh, happen. Yeah, that didn't happen. So yeah. that there was a that a band at that time called Shy Boys. So Brett had left La Femme, okay, and made a band, and I be, I joined them. So I became a bass player singer. Right. They needed were, a bass player. No, because there was Sting, and there was. But remember, back in those days, punks were going da 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 da. Oh, so like okay, well, we want the front man to be a bass player. Yes, there was a lot of bass playing front man. So we did that for a few years, and I got glandular fever. Oh, um, I would say around twenty-one. Yeah, so I was out of action, not that long in 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 um. In uh, yearly terms, it's not. Re- it wasn't really a yearly thing because I know people who've had it and suffered for a long time. Yeah, I probably suffered for four months. Okay, maybe. Yeah, you got over it relatively quickly. Yeah, I got over it relatively quickly. Um, but in the meantime, I'd kind of lost that thing, and I found a girl, and that was the girl I ended up marrying. Mm. Um, so you're going to focus, so I, kind of twist. So yeah. I didn't want to do the music anymore. Right. But funnily enough, when I had glandular fever, I practiced the bass a lot hmm. to a band called The Tubes. The Tubes? Yes. So they had uh, an album called The Completion Backward Principle. Um, then they had Outside Looking Inside. So they were like, Toto, Steve Lukather, and that all played the guitars like they did in, um, what was the other guy they used to do? Molly had a fight with him. <laughs> Lido. <laughs> Lido shuffle and that. Um, yeah, right. I've forgotten his name now, but that's Toto. Ah. You know, Toto played on a lot of people's records. Right. That's how they became a band. They just said, well, look, we're all meeting here all the time. Yes. Let's see if we can make our own one. Kind of like Boss Gags. Boss Boss Gags. Oh, okay. They played on the Boss Gag stuff. Right. Pretty sure. Um, So, yeah, yeah, I practiced and practiced, but then I just didn't – I gave up music for a couple of years and and just really didn't do anything in the important years, actually, 21 to 23 – yeah, I should have been doing that stuff. But anyway, mm. I came back to music. That's where the Spaniards came into it. Bill Thal got me into that. Right. And um, that was some of the greatest and some of the worst times of my musical life thus far. Hmm. Um, Were you still doing bass and singing at the time? Bass, just bass. So I was a paid member. Huh. That was my first gig. I was getting 150 bucks a night. Whoa. Happy as a man in shite. Yeah. Um, we toured 
everywhere in Australia. We would play in Australia, in uh, Melbourne. Then we would go to Sydney for two weeks. Then we would come back, play in Melbourne, go to Adelaide for a week, come back, play around Melbourne, go to Queensland for a week, come back. We did everything. Covers or originals? Originals. Originals? Originals. Without a record deal. Huh. We used to play at the place called the Prospect Hill Hotel. Yes. And uh, we would have 500 in there every Saturday night. So this is yeah. just how much work there was out there for original bands. Yeah. Even, I mean, were you on the radio? Not on the radio because we didn't have a record deal. deal. Yeah, so not even on the radio. Not on the radio. So comparable to 2018 or 2019, mm. for a band to do that these days, you would be playing to 20 people, not yeah. 500. No. Because everyone's got a million other places to be. Yeah. But as you were saying before, the culture back then was yeah. to go and see your band every night. Yeah. Because that's what your entertainment was. Culture, musical culture in Australia was huge. We also had the surfies. Rock and roll had the surfies. Surfers aren't rock and roll anymore. Huh. They're hip hop and they're, they're yeah. Diff- yeah, they're different style now. Yeah, they don't go into that. No, no, they? no. Or, they've, or, they're, or they're kind of aligned with the skateboarders too, so they got the punk sort yeah, of stuff. Hip hop and stuff. Yeah. Surfers ha- definitely have the hip hop and the Jack Johnsons, the Hawaiian da, da, style yeah, kind of stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Surfers were always rock and roll rock back and in the roll day. Back then, yeah. So there was a, quite a few demographics that you were hitting mm. um, in in the Spaniards being able to perform at multiple mm. venues in you know multiple states. Yep. Um, and and how long was that run for in that band while you were playing the bass? Um, I would say from eighty three to eighty seven. Yeah. So in your twenties, basically. Yeah. 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 It could have been eighty. 83 to 86, maybe in 87 I started doing my own thing. Mm. Um, we we did a lot of things, though. We toured Australia with Tina Turner. We toured... Tina Turner? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, when she was massive then, too. She was great. She was great. Far out. She, um, hers was like a, a play, almost. She'd say the same thing every night on yes. cue. After every song, she would finish and end and have a script. It would scripted, but you got to remember, back in those days, maybe people were only seeing one show, so it didn't matter. No, you yeah. got the show. Yeah, and if you go to a play, they say the same things every night. Exactly, it's a show. Yeah, it's a show, and you know, I'm sure in Electric Mary there are certain things I say before certain songs. Yeah, I might not say the same thing every night, but I reckon there. are you go to sayings that you have in your back pocket that you yeah. like to say. Yeah, and that's cool. And it just comes out. I don't like sit around going, Oh yeah, I'm gonna say this now. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because each it's spontaneous. Rock and roll shows are spontaneous. They're meant to be. Um <laughs> they are. <laughs> I mean Tina Turner was great. Yeah. Um and so well, you would have been playing big, big arenas when, she, when yeah. you were playing with Tina Turner. Yeah, entertainment what was that like centers, as a twenty something year old in the eighties. That would have been insane. Great. And how, what were the audience reactions to you guys? The audience reactions were good. They normally are for support bands, to be honest with you. Yeah. Your audience reactions were good. But I'm probably moving on a little bit too quick because while we were playing with Tina Turner was when I decided to leave the band. Yes. Because the boys were sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Right. And I wasn't a drinker or anything like that. And huh. we, <laughs> it was on Tina Turner's tour that, um, oh, geez, a lot of things happened. Yeah, right. So Billy, our singer, 
run over a, a motorbike, I think, by oh. like in a gang's motorbike. And we were going from Adelaide to Queensland. That's a drive back then. Yeah, it's a drive yeah. now. That's yeah. a, you wouldn't go from Adelaide to Queensland. You go to Adelaide, then to Melbourne, then Sydney, then Queensland. Yeah. So you'd you cross the um, up through the fucking middle of the country to get to Queensland. So these um like I might have dates wrong here, but anyway, no, I, cool. I know this happened. This story, yeah. So these bikies got in touch with us. I don't reckon we had mobile phones back then. We didn't. No, there's no way. Uh Give us 500 bucks or you don't get your singer back. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Because he'd run over one of their bikes. Yeah. And trashed it. Yeah. 500 is probably, you know. Back, back then, yeah. Quite, um, quite a, a not not as bad of an ask as you would assume. Actually, no, back then that's probably how much the bike would have cost. Yeah. That's probably what they're asking for. Yeah, yeah. Um, Far out. Right, we are meant to leave early in the morning and we didn't leave till later that night. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm cloudy on whether this happened at the same time, but yeah. I could be right because we were driving. I did a lot of the driving. And I remember um, Dave had gone through a whole, not you, <laughs> bottle of vodka. Whoa. And we are in the middle of nowhere and he reached over and pulled the steering wheel. <gasps> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And you... Well, the car started rolling and... No, no, nothing, no, 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 none of that. We're skidding and that was an, one of the very first Taragos. Oh. big square-bodied thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, I just absolutely freaked out. Well, understandably. Yeah, I was just shaking and and no one would do anything to him because he was mad. And, um, so you eventually got re-control of the car. It was yeah, yeah, fine. yep, yep, yep. It was fine, but we're in the Jeez. middle of nowhere, and it's pitch black. And uh, so this is after you've given the five hundred bucks to the bikies. <laughs> yeah, to this get, was to get hours later. Back. Hours later. Hours later. And this is the same guy that that trashed the bike. This is Dave that, that yep. got you into mischief, and now yep. he's grabbed the wheel and done this. And to I'll you. tell you, it was on the Tina Turner show because I know it because yeah, uh, this story is long. So. The lighting guy, Phil Spillman, and I grabbed our bags, yeah. luggage, and just started walking. And I could hear him in the distance saying, Brown, get back here, Brown. And like they drove past us a few times and we'd hide in the long grass. Because this wasn't the Hume, this was another kind of freeway or whatever you want. Yeah. But, you know, a single lane, one one way, one the other way. That was it. Um Anyway, look, probably an hour and a half went past. We tried to flag down some trucks. Who's going to stop, though? Two guys with suitcases. Yeah. Are you kidding me? No way. <laughs> They're not stopping. No one's stopping. So, um, Billy, I remember Billy yelling out, it's all right, he's asleep, he's asleep. And um, we got back in the van and... I said, mate, you to stay in him. You better stay right on top of him. He was gone, though. He wasn't going to do anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He drank a whole big bottle of vodka. Oh, so he got to Bondi, where we used to stay. I think it was called the Cosmopolitan. Everybody stayed there. Hmm. Um, I th Within, he didn't know he'd done it. No, he was just gone. You couldn't he, even remember? No, he didn't remember. Oh, um, the next day, Mick had said... Um, 
oh, have you seen Dave? And I said, oh, yeah, I don't want to see him, man, you know, whatever. He goes, no, you know, karma's, karma buses hit him. I said, what do you mean? There used to be this old um, bakery in Bondi, which everybody went to late at night, sausage rolls, pies, all that stuff. Yes. So he'd gone there and mouthed off to some Maoris all over. <laughs> oh. All over. He was like, you know, the purpley yellow bruising? Oh, already? Yeah. yeah. Jeez. Well, it was about a, a day later, yeah, because yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't see him. Um, yeah. His face just... He wore it as a badge of honour, though. Far out. He on the, we were on Tina Turner, and that's when I decided I was going to leave because that couldn't happen anymore. And it didn't. Ha- it did happen. That kind of thing on the way home. Um, yeah, just people getting drunk, drinking those old flasks of wine and that, and he got angry again. Yeah, I think we'd had two separate cars. It was Dark getting day. really hectic, hey. Yeah, it was bad. I didn't want to do it anymore. No, fair enough, I just, dude. I could in your in your shoes. You could see why you would want to leave that situation. Mm. Um. It was a shame now sound that like I... fun, you know? No, it was a shame I look... When we look back on it now... When I look back on it now... Mm. Look, lots of other things happened. We did get a record deal mm. in the end. Um, we did this thing in Wollongong and um, one of the heads of A&R of, an, of EMI America came over. Wow. He was pretty off his head, but yeah. he loved us. Yeah. And he said, these guys are getting in the studio. No worries. Nice. We signed to... Um, I tell you, who signed us. He used he Peter Dawkins maybe, but then he left, and that's the age old thing, you know. Sorry, man. So many people get signed, and then the guy leaves. Dave Grohl, he was the first time I'd ever heard of the key man clause. The key man clause. Yes. So, Dave Grohl. I'm sure other people probably did it, but the key man clause was this: we're signing. But if that guy, our guy goes, we go too. We're out of the contract. That's the key man clause. Okay. Because what can happen is if, if I'm signed to a record company and the guy who was my champion leaves, yes, no one else might like us. Right. We're done. Yeah. We're done. We just get put away. Yeah. You know, the time runs out, the money runs out, whatever. Yeah, Nothing. You don't do anything. No. But th- And I'm pretty sure it happened to Dave Grohl when he left a company early on after Nirvana. Huh. And because uh, of the key man clause, I'm pretty sure I, we could Google search that at some stage. Yeah, right. We also had another great thing with the Spaniards. With um, We were starting to do a tour with the Eurythmic, the Eurythmics. Oh, wow. And so... I said to um, Dave, this might have been later, actually, after Tina Turner. See, this is very cloudy in my head. Yeah. But it all happened in the Spaniards. Yes. So I said to, not Dave, um, Mark, I wonder what they do before they go on stage. Hmm. So I wandered down the hallway and sat around on a table and they were there probably 20 metres away from me. Sure. And, uh, you know, they got in a circle praise God, go on stage. And then the tour manager came out and put his face, like, here, folks, right in my grill. Yeah. And he said, what the f*** do you think you're doing? She reckons you're the worst band in the world and you're standing there staring at her. Get the f*** out of here. 
And so I'm just like, oh, my God. So we go, next day, bring, bring, hello. We're off the tour. Yep, gone. Just because you went to their dressing room? I didn't go to their dressing room. They were backstage, the big area backstage. Just because you were around them? I was around them and I was looking at them. I was looking at them, no doubt. No doubt I was looking at them. (laughs) It's so bizarre. It's ludicrous, but... At that stage, we probably were the worst band in the world. <laughs> oh my she was right, but I won't listen to her anymore. Jeez. But it did help me later in life. Huh. Let's skip a fair few years here, and I'll tell you why it helped me. Okay. Um, when we got the our very first big support in Electric Mare was with White Snake. White Snake, yeah. And I messaged the tour manager saying that Venom and I – uh, huge fans of David Coverdale, not just White Snake. David Coverdale. What is the protocol? Can we meet him? I got the message back. No, he's what that stage. I think it was fifty-eight or something. He just comes to the gig. He sings. He goes home. Right. No problem. We knew. I knew. Yes. I knew from the Eurythmics. I was never going to do that again. Yes. I'm. Um, I'm out of that situation. Um. So anyway, we did – sorry, folks, for jumping years here, but no, it's okay. very important while I remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, we did the show, and I remember the, the Australian roadies were very grumpy at the sound check, very grumpy. And please, folks, don't take this as, as me being egomaniacal. The Aussie roadies were very grumpy until – we sound checked and let me out, and I saw the heads pop up. Oh, okay. I could feel it. And the guy walked over and he goes, Is there any, Do you need anything else, mate? Can I help you, mate? And yeah. I just knew, Yeah, you like this, don't you? Yeah, right. Yeah, you thought you were just going to get a rubbish band supporting White Snake, and you were going to go, Oh, here we go again. Because that's how they treated us. Anyway, so they were great. And these and, are the Aussie... Um, but that's how they are. They've, they're older guys, and this has been their life for a long time. They probably don't have wives or kids. When you're a roadie, mm. right, th- that is a, a real lifestyle, man. Yeah. I remember when we played... God, I'm jumping everywhere. Sorry, folks. That's okay. When we played Deep Purple... Yes. I said to the um, Ian Pace, the, the drummer, I said to his tech, oh, do you have family home? He goes... Are you serious? He goes, I've been here for 27 years, man. He's my only family. And he pointed to the drum kit. Jeez. 27 years. That's all he knows. It's his lifestyle. Travel. Man. Yeah, travel around the world, do his thing. And <laughs> they're always grumpy, man. You hardly ever find a, a happy one. Dude, I remember I went to see the Foo Fighters um, circa 2000 and... Eight, 2009 let's say this was still when they were doing Rod Laver Arena not you know did they do Marvel Stadium last time I'm not, oh no the last time they played here was at that a- Amy Amy yeah yeah the one that looks like big soccer balls mm-hmm. yeah that one which is bigger than Rod Laver yeah 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 um, so this was yeah on one of their tours and I'm a big Foo Fighters fan big Tenacious D fan and because of that, I recognised one of the roadies mm. from a Tenacious D DVD. Right. Uh, by name, I knew this guy's freaking name. <laughs> Can't remember his name now, but <laughs> I knew it then. And I'm like, hey, uh, Bumble, or whatever the hell his mm. name was. He goes, what's up? I go, 
can you give this to the band? And I had my CD with me, yeah. right? I'll never forget. He just turns to me and goes, no, nah, you don't want to give them to those guys, man. They'd probably just throw it in the trash. <laughs> they do. It just broke my heart. They do. You know, and they do. Because I was talking with uh, another guest a few weeks ago, Wolfie. Now, he didn't tell this story on the podcast, but I'll retell it now. Wolfie the drummer? Wolfie the drummer. Excellent. I'll retell it on the podcast now because it's a corker. He was playing with a band that was playing in a festival with Pearl Jam. And they were walking from the stage to the backstage area through the crowd because that was the only way to get to the backstage area for some reason. And this punter recognizes them and gives their CD to Eddie Vedder. And he goes, hey, man, can I give you my music? He's like, yeah, thanks, man. No worries. He puts it in his pocket. The minute, the second that they were out of public view in the backstage area, he grabs the CD and tosses it in the bin and turns to Wolfie and says, there's only seven notes, man, meaning I've heard it all before, you know. I'm like, wow, there has to be like a, a time in your career where you're that kind of jaded, like he must remember being a fan himself. I've yeah. seen the documentaries. I know the persona he puts out there during the, you know what I mean? But like, mm. that's that inside Intel that you get from someone seeing these guys in real life that kind of breaks your heart a little bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I imagine, you know what? I imagine I've probably done it, but i tell you what I do do when I buy it. On iTunes, I take a little screenshot and I send it to the person. See, I did buy your record. Yeah, right. There you go. Smokestack Rhino, I've done it to them too. Yes, <laughs> Smokestack Rhino. Far out, man. Mm. Yeah, I'm not with those guys anymore. No? No, no. Um, we split up last year. God. Yeah, unfortunately. But... Um, that was the first band in my career that I actually got to see the country, you know, because oh, yeah. the Pass Outs of, which was my, my first band of 10 years, we only did one gig in Sydney, man, that was it. Uh, but with Smokestack, um, I joined a band with some younger dudes and they were really, really, um, you know, gung-ho and wanted to do a lot of touring. Ironically, it was right when I was starting my family and so my <laughs> twins were growing up and I'm, you know, every, every school holidays I'm, you know, on the road. Yeah. So it's probably a good thing that it's kind of ended the way when it has because now I, I will get to get that quality time in with my family. But um, the podcast has actually become my creative outlet, which has been great, mm. especially on nights like this when I get to shoot the shit with someone um, like yourself that really I've only got to speak to um, after a gig in passing, you know. Yeah. Same thing with Pete. I mean, you know, it's different with Brett because, you know, me and him were, were yeah. friends obviously first um, before he joined Mary. Um, getting back onto um, your days in the Spaniards mm-hmm. um, uh, and you said it eventually ended where did you end up after that? Covers The cover scene mm. I, st- I was writing my own songs so let me say this folks the Spaniards did a lot more than I've actually entered into here we've done the countdowns and we did have a record deal yes. and we did go on the radio because back then on the radio Charts were Melbourne, mm-hmm. Sydney, Adelaide. Perth. So you could look each, each week or when you'd go to Alan's Music Store, there would be a printed chart yes. and you picked it up and you look what the hot, you know, what's hot, what's not, what's moved up, what's down. Every week you'd look like that. Obviously it's all on the internet now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we were pretty good in Melbourne. We had a maybe a top ten hit in Melbourne and maybe we did all right in Sydney. So mm. each state 
sorry, each state, yeah, had their um, had their own top ten. Was there yeah. as many bands back then? Oh, everywhere. There were just as competitive as it is now. Can I just say this? And shoot me down if you want, folks. If there's anyone out there as old as me, I would suggest if Electric Mary was around in the early 80s, we would be a pretty big band in Australia. Yeah. I imagine because people went to see bands. Yeah. And you know, sitting across the table from me, how hard it is to get people to come and watch you. Oh, Dude. It's extremely. I've got it's work. Excruciating. I've got work. To, I've got you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a school night, mate. I said to someone, they messaged me about the David Bowie thing and said, "Why are you doing it on a Thursday night?" Jimmy, <laughs> tickets they sold seven forty-five. Yeah, man. You yeah. know why we're doing it on a Thursday night, folks? Because that was the anniversary of his passing. Yeah, that's what it was about. Yeah. to hear the David Bowie songs yeah. and the band went nuts learning every little click and thing and tone and whatever Everything. to do it. it it wasn't just you know a throwaway thing at all it was really thought long and hard about even yeah, before man. we did it yeah and one of the first things i remember saying to dale Ryder, like for me it was great i love dale Ryder, so i get to sing with him i'm only singing five songs yes and I said, it's got to be real. He goes, yeah, of course. Yeah, man. It's got to be real. And I said, yeah. If I feel uneasy, I'm a bit of a sook, I won't, I won't do it. Right. He goes, no, no, you'll be fine. Yeah. Because I didn't know a lot of the people. I knew Dave Leslie, of course. Sean, the drummer, I'd, I'd met, of course, but never played with him. Okay. Dorian on bass, I'd, I'd played with in Erwin Thomas Erwin band. Erwin Thomas, yes. Yeah. Uh, Ash, I'd never met before. Um, Daniel, Daniel uh, Juice, is it? Mm. Um, he plays keys, and I've seen him before. He yeah. plays in um, uh, bands as well, but not played with them before. So it was yeah. quite nerve wracking. Gary Pinto, you know, I know who he is, but I've never sat on a stage with him. Yeah, man. Jason, I know, and even Tim Watson, I've never done anything with before either. Mm. So yeah, it was. It was a great thing, but I don't know. I was talking about Electric Mary. Anyway, back in the day. <laughs> you would have smashed it. People, come and see us play. Yeah. There were so many bands back then. My favourite band, Australian band of all time, was a band called Matt Finish. Huh. They only really had one album that was big. Right. They had a song called Short Note and Mancini Shuffle. He's now passed away, sadly. Hmm. But when I went to their gigs, it was a religious experience for me. Right. Every every gig they played, they were from Sydney. Yes. Was packed. Far out. We went to Frankston and played at the uh what's the one on the corner? Oh. Uh, they broke the record. So that they used to have the big band room and it went long ways and then it went sideways. They did the when it was long ways and they had over a thousand people in there. Jeez. Talking about over a thousand people in a pub, mate, these guys, they just had their thing. I look at it now a little bit and go, oh, there's a little bit of the police in there, isn't there? But these guys were just, So Rick Grossman was a bass player. So he's been in Matt Finish, The Divinals, Hoodoo Gurus. He's never been in a rubbish band. (laughs) 
case. He's, he's unbelievable. Like, went from one successful band to the next. Yeah. And he's the reason I said yes to playing bass all the years before. Because when I would see him, yeah, he was great, mate. He was oh, great. Yeah. And one of the greatest things ever from Electric Mary is we played with Alice Cooper in Sydney. And he came and said, mate, you guys are amazing. And I'm like, you know, yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, you're the reason I play. Yeah. And he stayed. I've said things like that before and people walked away. But yeah, he was cool. He was cool. Sometimes you just got to have that moment. Fanboy out. Why the fuck not? You only live once, you know, and you're not going to meet that person again. So why not just tell them how you feel? I did it with um, um, John Waite. I was in Chicago in 94 mm-hmm. and uh, I was coming home and he was standing in front of me. Yes. And I just said, oh, hey, man, you know, I'm from Australia. I love your music and, 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 and yeah. he was very nice. Yeah. And we had Mr. Brown together then and, and we got on the plane. We did our thing on the plane. We got off. Yeah. Maybe I was going somewhere in America because he got off with me. Um yeah. And he walked over to me and said, sorry, what, was, what did you say your band's name was again? Yes. And I said, oh, Mr. Brown. But it wasn't like the internet now. No. Uh, we're talking, yeah, 90. No, it must have been after 94 because Mr. Brown started in 96. But somewhere, 96, 97, yeah. He still sought you out after yes. the initial interaction. Absolutely. And made sure that you were f- you felt like you had a good experience with him. Yes. So much so that you said, what was the name of that band again, mate, yeah. that you play in? Yeah, yeah. And that's a really cool thing. The small amount of success that I've had in my two original bands, whenever someone has come up to me and said that they liked my staff mm. or they thought it was a good gig or whatever, especially because of the interactions I've had with people that I look up to, I always make sure that I'm, like, completely cordial, mm. like... I'll, I'll ask them their name, I'll look them in the eyes and I'll shake their hand and make sure that I have a genuine, genuine interaction with them um, because I know how valuable that is. I don't know whether or not, whether they're going to remember it or not, but at least I've made that effort. And I reckon people, you know, th- they appreciate it, man. Just yeah. like you said with, with that character there, he, that you appreciated it. So with me, you'll never get that before a show. I hide, I run, get in the band room because yeah. I don't want to talk. I no. just want to think about it. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I had a great thing with this guy about four weeks ago. Yeah. Um, I was at a place and uh, I was doing a little gig in the corner and there was four people there. Yeah. Him, his wife, and two other people. And uh, I was just playing like Tom Petty songs, Bowie songs, Tom Petty songs, just pleasing myself. Yes. Basically. Yes. Putting food on the table and pleasing myself. And I finished the first set and he said to me, hey, mate, you look like Rusty from Electric Mary. (laughs) And I went, well, I am. Yeah. So I kept talking to him. Just there was no one else there. I kept talking to him. He was a nice dude. Yeah. (laughs) And he said to me, and I couldn't believe it. He goes, I'm actually pretty overwhelmed that you'd talk to me, mate. I said, hey, I'm just lucky. I just breathe air and, yeah. you know, we we all, we all do different things. But, hey, I appreciate it. It's cool, man. Yeah, it's no cool. Worries. Yeah, yeah. I kept talking to him. The very last song of the night, I said, all right, I don't do this very often. 
at all. At a cover show. Yeah. But I'm going to do it for you now. I'm going to play a song for you. So I play Let Me Out on acoustic. (laughs) So he's told me all about seeing Electric Mary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we get to the chorus. He He sings Let Me Go. I'm like, no, oh my god, <laughs> no! And every time I got to it, he said, "Let me go," and I'm oh like, my "No, god, dude. what are you doing? He's ruining it. <laughs> hey, he's not ruining it. He ruined it. He ruined it. That's all right. He actually came back again. Yeah, mad, mad, mad times. Yeah. No, I, I, I can definitely empathise with that. Doing the covers thing. I've got a covers gig this Friday. And the last time I played this gig, it was a very quiet night. Um, and when, when you look around, you see the bar guy not paying attention. And, you know, the, the waitresses aren't really doing much. And there's only a handful of people in the room. You're like, sweet, I can play Eleanor Rigby now. Mm. Or I can play fucking like some obscure Pearl Jam yeah. side that no one here is going to get. But I'm going to enjoy doing it because, you know, I can get away with it. And then I'll get back to Summer of 69 and whatever the fuck. No, I never play those songs. No, yeah. <laughs> never play those songs. I do. Depends. Um, Depends. There's some, um, there is an obscure Tom Petty that that's my obscure go-to song. Yes. Off the last DJ that I love playing. Um mm. Blue Sunday, it's called. Great song, great right song, and I play it, and people don't know what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. I'm pleasing myself, and yeah. you know. But sometimes a punter will come up and go, "Hey, I like how you played, mm. okay, yeah. you know, Alan Rigby or whatever," yeah. and I go, "Yeah, man, that's right." Actually, <laughs> actually, actually, it wasn't long ago that um, I played Bowie Starman always to myself whenever I've got a guitar in my hand. Yeah, I love that song. Yeah. Anyway, I was just playing around with fiddling with the start. I was at a friend's house, actually, and there was a guy there with him. Who I didn't know play guitar at the time. Mm. He goes, oh, what are you doing there? And I went, oh, here we go. I said, oh, this. He goes, oh, you should try it like this. And soon as he played, I went, that's how it goes. That's exactly how it goes. Whoa. And so what I'd, what I'd heard in my head, because I always learn things by listening, I don't – look it up and go, okay, that's a G, that's an F. I just listen and go, okay. Yeah. And when he played, I went, yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. Oh, nice. my God. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, and there was another chord along the way. I played G all the time and it was G minor. I was like, no. Oh. As soon as I played G minor, I went, oh, there you go. And then when you go back and listen to where you used to play, you're like, what was I doing? Actually, there was two bowies. There was a G minor in Starman. Yeah. And in – um. Uh, Ziggy, I always played A minor, and it's actually just A. They both sound right, though. Yeah, man. The A minor sounds nice. The A rubs for me a little bit, probably because I've played the A minor so long. Yeah. But when you hear it, when I heard it as a band, when the band played A, I went, oh, yeah, it's A. It's got nothing, yeah. to, do with, nothing to do with A minor. Yeah, it's like I do that song uh, Crazy by uh, Niles Barkley Mm -hmm. and there's an A minor and an A in that song and sometimes you'll fuck up and you'll Mm -hmm. do the A minor when you're meant to do the A or vice versa. I can't tell the difference. Yeah. But, you know, guitarist might be going, dude, that's that's this is when you're meant to play the A minor, you know what I mean? Yeah, guitarist. Yeah, Yeah, I'm actually, for all you Electric Mary fans, if you are listening, and you will be, um, 
yeah, I'm the half tone guy, a half, yeah, half a tone guy. Right. I'll sing something and someone will go, no, it's not there, it's here. And I go, no, it's not. I wrote the song, man. I know how it goes. Yeah. And then they'll go, no, it's here, sing this. Uh, uh. And I go, oh, okay. Yeah. Ah. Half tone. You always, like, not always, but a lot of times I'll, go I'll pitch, yeah. pitch here because that's what I like to sing. Yeah. And the thing is, because I've always listened to blues singers and I always roll the note up. Uh, yeah, man. Not, uh, I go, ah, it is a bit in you. Yeah, right. The half tone guy. Far out, man. It's a shame we can't delve too much more into the Spaniards because I would like to hear about your journey from them and doing your own thing in Mr. Brown. Yeah, well, there was a small little moment just bef- between the Spaniards in, um, and I've carried this as baggage for a long time, where I, I got a friend of mine to manage me, not because he knew anything about music, but boy, could he talk, and mm. he still can. Mm. So he got me, offered to me, a one-year, I forget what it's called now. It's in America. So WEA, it's a big company then. Okay. I think it was about 87. And so he got me a, uh, the offer of a one-year deal. So what you do is you go to America for a year. Yes. They pay you. You write songs with people. You get with producers because they're unsure. So they don't want to waste money on someone doing albums and stuff. Right. So they pay you to go there. Huh. Um, I forget what it's called now. Um, yeah, but uh, my wife at the time said no. So you didn't go? I didn't go. Huh. Yeah. Far out. And then I got cut, stuck in cover band world. Right. Yeah. I got stuck in cover band world, making money, and in the end I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I just said, listen, I just got to go write my own songs. I've just got to do it. Yes. Um, there was not a lot of understanding for me because the money dried up very quickly. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, I had nothing. Mm. <clears throat> um, except what I had back was my passion. Right. About music, you know. Yeah. Um, and I love all kinds of music. Deep Purple's my band. That That's that, from day one. You know, as soon as I heard that as a kid, I just loved it. And I still love it. I was listening to some of it here on the way. But also on the way here in my two-hour journey was, you know, Joe Cocker, was Bowie, was Crowded House, was Led Zeppelin, was Hendrix. So I just put what I'd made up as a playlist of my favourite music and I just called it classic rock. Yes. And it was everyone. It was all the way along and, and... and I just that that passion I have now still at fifty eight years of age. Mm. In ninety six, when I left, I went, yeah, this is what I want to do. Yes, and it was so good, so good for me. Um, and look at look at Electric Mary, which is my baby. Started when I was forty three. Yes, most people are thinking about hanging up the boots. Mm. And I'm starting something from being in Jimi Hendrix's studio because I was with Irwin before that. Yeah. So should I stick with Mr. Brown where I met Venom? We played, um, we had a little hit 
on Triple J called Liar Liar. Mm. Um, we just made it in our bedroom. Um, ben and played drums. I played guitar, bass, mixed it, and they said, "Okay, you need need to send more copies of this because we're going to put it on high rotation." And we went, "What? <sighs> yeah, out of nowhere, out of nowhere, no band, never band, just me and him." Um, we didn't have a band, we had no gigs, we had nothing, and they played it and played it for about, I reckon, 12 weeks at least. Oh. At least. Then we p- put a band together, we had it, um, we got the band together, and uh, we did some shows, and then we did a live show with them. And uh, once we walked into the Triple J room at, to play live, they knew that we weren't a Triple J band, you know, because they're very... Because you weren't 21. Probably. Yeah. yeah. They sent a message back with my manager and it's like, yeah, look, we think he's a bit Brian Adams for us. No worries. Yeah. So we went to Triple M with our second single and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's okay. I was with Russell Thomas, who's a... Um, uh, he, uh, I forget what you call it now. God, my mind. You pay these guys to take your record in. A plugger. Oh, radio plugger. Radio yeah, yeah, plugger. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Russell Thomas, I went with him. We're in Sydney and uh, the guy was saying, yeah, I like it, I like it. And believe it or not, this is absolutely 100% true. Hmm. The guy, I've forgotten his name now, who ran Triple M at the time, had a stack of CDs on his thing and Russell picked out the spine of our single, the first one that Triple J played, you know, somewhere three quarter way down the pack. Hmm. Pulled it out and said, Have you heard this one? Well what's that? Well that was our first single. Bang. Triple M band of the month. Um they and back then they had um what what's the show where the people used to live in the house together? But big, it was just big on brother. Big Brother, but it was on radio then. And so they used to play our songs on 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 that. So Oh yeah, yeah, because the 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 show they would have like a uh it was on the TV, but they would actually do like mm. a like a radio play version of it on the radio. Yeah. Yeah, the, they picked up the audio from the house and they would just play all the debacles that were happening in the house in Queensland. Yeah. Well, I reckon and I could be wrong, but I reckon it was a radio show first. Then it became a television Oh, show. is that right? I think. Ah, okay, cool. I think. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, so Triple M played that. And then Mr. Brown did a uh, – we had a manager and we went to South by Southwest. Nice. Sa- it was not that good. Yes. Same time as Powderfinger. So Powderfinger was just a new band as well then. Huh. Um, I think they made a couple of Triple J hits, but – I remember Venom and I going to Japanese night on the Friday at a place called the Copper Tank in uh, Austin, Texas. Copper Tank 2, I think. And it was packed. So they're all Japanese girl bands. Packed. Wow. Yeah, packed. And we just looked at each other and we're like, yeah. Next day we played, Tom Waits is playing at the same time. In a place that holds 5,000, whatever, who cares? Yeah. 15, and I don't know the number. Hasn't played 
for 13 years or something. <laughs> Why is he even there? Yeah, what is he doing playing South by Southwest? He's not for? looking for a deal. What? No. Well, that's what they do to get the people in. Aerosmith played there. Billy Idol's played there. Yeah. Played there, and it's like we played to sixty-two people, I think. So there was us. There was a band, another band. Um, Ice Cream Hands played. I remember that band. Montana, another band from Australia. We're all Australian bands. Yeah. Um, it was just a debacle. Far out, man. But from that. We met a Canadian lady who was running her. She ran North by Northeast, oh. which is a Canadian thing out of Toronto. Huh. And uh, we went to meet her, just had a great time. She was fantastic. She was Welsh. And uh, she invited us to play at North by Northeast, which we probably played twice. Wow. And we went to um, Canada for a few years after that, mm. at least three we had a deal ready to sign and because what we were doing, we were chasing the sun. So we would play summer here yes, and summer there. Right. Um, in fact, the record company was called Oasis. And what it was, was it was a um, big building with small labels all in it. So that was the Oasis. Ah. There was different labels and you could use different people's, um, anything they had that they, you know, they might have an art art guy. Yes. Oh, okay, we'll use the art guy from Danger Records and he'll do our thing, you know. You didn't have to go anywhere because yes. it was an Oasis, mm. but it fell over. It was, um, they put it on the stock market. I'm pretty sure that was the story and it fell over. Mm. So we didn't get to go. I've had a few of those. Yeah. Back to the Spaniards, we had um, Mark Opitz, who was doing Cold Chisel. Um, and I'd packed up, ready to do my first album ever, yes. like proper, on the Sunday, got the phone call. Nah, it's not, not happening. Yeah, money's falling through. Not happening, mate. <laughs> Gutted. I'm sure I cried. I'm yeah. pretty sure I cried. Yeah, you would. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was Mr. Brown. We did a lot of Canada. I was good we we were gonna go there yeah. and they wanted us to go for six months at a time right and that was gonna be hard but we were gonna do it yes um yeah but it didn't happen it didn't eventually we did a couple of tours there with some bands that were really good the flashing lights and the other one i can never remember hmm. the flashing lights were good at actually we played a store <laughs> we played a gig with them um and next door was a um, like a festival called Leatherman. Leatherman so, Festival. Yeah, and guess what it was about? Huh. There was, you know, gay guys in leather and stuff. Oh. Yeah, so they were everywhere in the streets. It was awesome. It was awesome. Yes. But this band, The Flashing Lights, loved the Easy Beats. Right. That's the type of music they played, Easy Beats. And they said to me, do you want to get up and sing a song? I went, yeah, no worries, man. Which ones do you want? Well, we'll do um, Friday on My Mind and we'll do another one. So I sing Friday on My Mind. No worries. They start the next one. I start singing Friday on My Mind again. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, no. Like I was gone. You thought it was the same song still? No, no. I knew it wasn't the same song, but I started singing the same song. Yeah. Yeah. 
it was um it was probably sorry. Do you know sorry? Oh yeah, both um The Easy Beats. The Easy Beats, yeah, yeah. 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 Mama came this morning, down, 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 two completely different oh, songs. One is like, do, 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 Monday morning feels so bad. And so why did you do it? You just didn't know the other tune? No, no, I just, my mind just, just went blanked. blanked. Oh. I just blanked out. And once I'd blanked out, it was all over. Yeah. yeah. I think someone whispered in my ear and I went and then I did it, but yeah, no idea. Because the last show that I actually did, ironically, with Smokestack was at this festival in um, New South Wales. It's a long, Longview Farm Party, I think it was mm-hmm. called. And we played in the afternoon, and we we finish our uh, we finished our set to talk in past tense now um, with "Whole Lot of Love" by Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to me, the uh, the band who was headlining that night was rolling up in the van and p- putting up their tents listening to us do Led Zeppelin. They're going to themselves, who's, who's singing this? Well, that mm-hmm. sounds pretty good, you know? And so um, that was the last night of the tour. Um, and I hadn't drank anything for, you know, six weeks or whatever. And I'm like, I've got myself a couple of vodka sodas. I'm like, sweet, I don't have to sing anymore. I'm going to enjoy myself. And a couple, I mean a couple, I mean mm-hmm. two drinks, mm-hmm. literally. And so I drank, you know, one and I was feeling tipsy and I drank the other one. And all of a sudden, the front man of the band launches in a whole lot of love and just points at me and goes, get up on stage. Who was it? It's this guy called Steve Edmonds. Oh, okay. He's Steve Edmonds' band. It's like this right. blues band from Sydney, yeah? yeah. Um, and they, they do tour Australia, but they're big in the blues scene, yeah? And so um, I get up there and yeah, I was, it was only a couple of drinks. So I was fine. And so I sing the song and, you know, we were playing at four o'clock in the afternoon, but there was only like maybe 200 people in mm-hmm. front of us. But by this stage, it was five, 600 people in this really packed little area. It was great. Um, it's really nice that I've at least got a, a good memory from how that band finished. And so um, I do that song and, he, and, he's, and he's like, oh, jump off, but, you know, stick around. We'll do another one later. I'm like, okay. And so I'm, you know, dancing around. And then he, he points at me again. He's like, get up. And he's, he, it was uh, an ACDC song. Now, I'm not a big ACDC guy. Mm. And so he launches into it. And I'm like, dude, I, I don't know this song. He's like, just sing the chorus. <laughs> and so here's me on the stage just kind of waiting. And then I think it was like, you know, um, what's that one? Like all night. You shook me all night long. long right, That's yeah. what it was. So I sung the chorus to it. But other than that, I, I literally had no idea what was going on. Yeah. So there you go, a comparable story for you. Mm. Um, and so, you, you, how did Mr. Brown finish up? Because I know Mr. Brown leads into Erwin Thomas. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Erwin joined Mr. Brown. Oh, is that right? And then we started writing some other songs, and, and Mr. Ah. Brown was kind of fading. Um, Patch had gone. Yeah, I think Jonathan Zion was probably looking at other things to do. The bass player. Yes. Um. And Erwin T- uh, Thomas started happening. Mr. Brown actually never ended. It just faded away. Yeah. So we did Erwin Thomas for a while and um, that was great for me because um, no disrespect to anybody here, but I'd not played with the calibre of those musicians before and I was frightened a lot of times. Um I remember, you know, should be apologising still to Erwin about this. 
we did a show on television and I just completely blew it on the bass. Just once I'd made one or two mistakes, it was all over. Wow. Yeah, I'm a bit like that. Yeah. If I forget lyrics. I'm not bad with Electric Mary, actually. I actually listen to Electric Mary a lot. I still play it a lot. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I sing along a lot. But uh, yeah, Erwin Thomas was a great experience for me. And Erwin Thomas morphed into Electric Mary. Yes. When um, Erwin was sort of fading away with that and he was in Electric Mary because we went to Jimi Hendrix's studio. In New York City. Yeah, and I was with Erwin Thomas then. Yes. And we played a show and we met Mary Campbell. And she said to, um, Erwin said to me, hey, I'm going to Hendrix Studio tomorrow. Yes. I've told the story a lot, but it's a great story. But what were you doing over there in New York? We are playing Erwin Thomas. Oh. We were playing. So we were playing for this guy they call Babyface. So what happens a lot in music, I'm not sure if it happens anymore, I have no idea. But you become that big, they give you part of the... The label. And label. you can say you can yes. put artists... Prince, on. they did too. U2, they did it too. Trent Reznor as well. Right. Babyface, they did too. Babyface was like a rapper guy. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like R&B kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 So he was looking at Erwin Thomas to put on his subsidiary of whatever label he was yes. on. Yes. You had to go to him and you had to play. The band didn't play. Erwin played by himself in the acoustic guitar. So that was... He doesn't want to lift... He doesn't want to listen to the songs... He wants to see you in his office play. Yes. Right. So Erwin did that. I didn't even know. We weren't invited. He just did it. We played shows. Yes. But then he did his thing. So he was pretty happy with how he went, but it never happened. No. Um, Things were changing in the the record industry then, the recording industry, and labels were changing too. I think BMG were just about to be bought – by someone. Mm-hmm. So things were going to change. So um, This was circa 2004, 2005. Yeah. yeah. This was 2003. 2003, I apologize. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure it's April. So my recollection of Electric Mary is 2003, April 14. Right? That's the date in my head. Yes. When we went to Jimi Hendrix's studio, Erwin asked me the night before, do you want to go? And I said, no, not really. Look, I'm just going to hang out and do my thing. You go, though. It's awesome. In the morning, I woke up and I went, of course I'm going. What yeah. am I saying? <laughs> what am I saying? What am I saying? Yeah. So we went and the lady who took us around was the manager at the time, Mary Campbell. Mm. And she had story after story. After, we're talking now heroes. Yeah. The Foreigner, ACDC, Bad Company, Kiss. The Kinks, Radiohead, uh, um, Guns N' Roses. This is, you know. All we're had s- recorded there. Maybe more than that. And we're standing in the spot. You know, we're standing in the studio where, oh, this is where um, Bowie and, and Lennon wrote Fame. You know, well, Carlos Alamore actually had the riff. Yes. Um, and this was the first time. If someone said this to me, I'd just go, yeah, whatever, mate, because I'm from West Heidelberg. <laughs> I went, wow, I'm actually, the hair's on the back of my neck. I'm standing in rock history here. Yeah. 
not even just rock, that's like musical history, history here. So, uh, Axel Rose makes sure when he plays November Rain, the piano is in the exact same spot where Stevie Wonder played whatever record he was playing. Do you know what I mean? He knew where it was. Yeah. Or he had a picture or something. So they had to put it in that yeah. spot. And this is the thing, you know, when you're a bigger artist, you probably do think of these things that people go, oh, that's a wacky idea. But no, no, nah, no. Nah. He, you know, Axel probably knows the song. Yeah. Not Hotter Than July, but maybe that record that was from, I'm not sure. Mm. But I was like, wow, that's amazing. You know, Radiohead played a live radio show in there for for some something that went around the world. There was just so many things. And I signed my name on the wall next to Keith Richards, right? Nice. And right at, at the end, we were leaving, and Mary said to me, hey, you know, stay in touch with me. You know, here's my card. That's me down the bottom, Electric Mary. And I went... Wow, that's a great name for a band. <laughs> oh, you won't name your band after me. I was like, yeah, because I'd already written a few songs. Ah. Sail on and that from the first record. I yes. already demoed them. And, uh, yeah, so then we went across the road, had a pizza, a slice, they call it a slice over there. Yeah. Walked out, walked up the road, and I went, where's my wallet and passport? Yeah. Left it on the ground, little bag, still there. In the studio? No, no, in the pizza shop. <laughs> Picked it up. Thank you very much. Yeah. So because lucky. I was that excited. Yes. Yeah. You had just gone through a musical experience. It absolutely was was that. Yeah. And if I had have been on my thought the day before of, oh, no, you go. Don't worry about it. Imagine. Yeah. Imagine. That's far out, man. It was pretty wild. It was pretty wild. And that's when Electric Mary started. started yeah. And we yeah. came back and we did some things. And But Erwin was kind of changing his his thoughts on, on the band. Yes. On um, Erwin Thomas. So I imagine in his head, I've never really asked him, that he went, you know what, I'm going to be part of Electric Mary until I work out what I'm going to do. Right, yeah. Because I always used to ask him all the time, mate, I'm going to write a song where me and you sing it. He's like, nah. You're the singer. You sing, I play guitar. Yeah. I'm like, come on, man, I want to hear you sing. Didn't stop him from doing yeah. some crazy BVs, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he just didn't want to. He didn't want to do the front thing, yeah. No, he didn't want to. He just said, no, nah, you do it, it's fine. It's cool. Huh. We, we had a pretty close relationship, and We did a lot of things with Electric Mary there, and, and Mary Campbell took us to a lot of places, too. Yeah. Um, we stayed at her house in... Um, in um, Where's Bon Jovi live? New Jersey. Oh, New Jersey, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, we stayed in America for a while, a couple of times, trying to get people to come and see us. Yes. We just couldn't. We're probably not a New York band, to be honest with you. Right. That's the Strokes and the, what's the other one? Sex on Fire. Oh, yeah, Kings of Leon. Kings of Leon. That's, That's a New York kind of band. Yeah. They're good at that stuff. I went to New York with my lady in 2010 or so and that was when Jack was still living there 
we got to see him. He he, he took us to this place called the Rockwood Music Hall. Mm-hmm. I we, went there with him too. There you go. And we got to see some music. And bear in mind, like 24, 48 hours earlier, I had, I had this romantic idea of bringing my guitar with me on holiday. Mm. And I went to Transit Pack in Thomastown and got a... a a road case map. Well, no, no, I didn't. Uh, my my friend had a transit pack case which fit, fitted my mate, and so and it's you know the transit pack mm. cases they're huge. Mm. So I brought that with me so that my mate would be safe. And we went to do a uh, an open mic night in New York City, and it was one of these things where you go into this club and you pick it a number out of a hat, and whatever number you draw is when you get to perform. Now we mm. got there at like eight p.m. I drew like number 42 or something like that's how many people would show up for wow. these things and we were there until about 1 a.m. and I still hadn't played and these guys were getting to play for longer than the three minutes that they were meant to and I saw them being buddy buddy with the guy who was running the night I just went up to him I said dude I know I'm not for another 10 spots but can you please just put me on I want to play one song and and leave I'm on holidays Mm. you know I want to just have this experience he kept saying no 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 and eventually it was my turn and I got to do one song which and in my head I'm like I'm going to smash out like a medley of three songs in three minutes you know and I got to do one song and I launched into the next one and he turned my mic down. Mm. So I had this terrible experience. What, what song? Your own song? Yeah, my own tunes. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, I want to do my own tunes, you know. And so the very next night we, we got to meet Jack at this Rockwood musical and it was a completely different experience because all of the open micers were fucking terrible. Mm. Like it was just shit after shit. And then I went to the, um, you know, the Rockwood and the bands there, every one of them, it was like a three or four night, uh, three three or four um, bands on this bill, and they were ridiculous. Mm. They were so good. One of which is now still one of mine and my wife's favorite bands is this country duo from Canada called Whitehorse. We have their first EP and we play it all the time. It's mm. ridiculous. Um, so my experience of New York was very, and you know, getting to see Jack as well was a really cool thing. You know, outside of uh, Melbourne town, um, was that that real contradiction of like it's this melting pot of music and just because there's a million people there doesn't mean everyone's going to be an amazing music you know but because there was like i guess the rockwood would kind of be similar to like the ev or i don't know maybe cherry barn now like it would really attracted the cream of the crop was it bigger than that though it's a big place, didn't i I the rockwood music hall no it sounds like a big place but it was really just like a club it had like a balcony area though where you could watch the bands from, kind of like um, the Gasometer Hotel. Right. I would I would liken it to in Melbourne, S- like structurally wise. Okay, well, yeah. I, I, I must. I always thought we went there, but maybe I went to um, Rosemount or something like that. It was in New York, mm. and me and Irwin slash Jack we saw the music and the vines. Oh wow! Do you remember the music? They came and went. So quickly. Yeah, they had that People song, I think. I remember. Yeah, they yeah. They had the curly head singing. He was mad. But they were like a a bit like Led Zeppelin, but dancey too. They were weird, Yeah, yeah, weird. the music. Yeah, they just went. They, they're gone and the Vines played as well. And they were Aussie band as well. That was pretty cool. Far out, man. Yeah. And that was the birth of Electric Mary. And obviously we know the story there. You guys have, have gone from strength to strength. I remember um, seeing Electric Mary um in 2005 for the definition of insanity EP release right. in Crown. I think I told this to Pete as well. 
um, but still one of my favourite memories because that was... Um, Where do we do it? It was at like this... Um, you launched the EP there. It was at Crown Casino up in that... Um, like It was called like the Rock Bar or something. It was this, you know, initiative that they were doing at the time. It doesn't Mercury exist. Lounge. It was the Mercury Lounge. It was the old Mercury Lounge. That's what it was. Yeah. And they had like those huge LED screens behind mm. the band and everything. Mm. It was really cool. They didn't have it anymore, but I remember that's where you launched it. And I still have that original copy um, of that EP. I've smashed it. I think I remember telling you one day, this was maybe fucking eight years ago. Um, I was going to the gym for the first time. Um, after I got married, I, I put on the KGs. As you do, you get a bit, you know, relaxed and everything. And I would listen to Electric Mary on the treadmill because the beats per minute were like exactly the mm-hmm. pace that I was setting with my running. It was that song and it was a Green Day song that I would, right. that I would smash. But um, there you go, man. Do you remember what it was? Was it Let Me Out? Yeah, it was Let Me Out. It was what? the whole fucking EP. Yeah. A, lo- a lot of those songs were at the same beats per minute. So I just listened to that whole thing. A Let Me Out was... The first song that we wrote as a band. Huh. But it wasn't on um, Four Hands High. No. You kept it. I wrote everything on that. Oh. Erwin wasn't on Four Hands High. He played a couple of things. He played a magnificent solo on a song called Stars. From Four Hands High, yeah. Yeah, because I record that at home Ah. and then Reggie mixes it. And he was over my place one day and um, I put it on. I go, I have listened to this. And he has this thing. If it makes his, he gets goosebumps, he, he knows. Yes. He said, mate, that's so good. I said, oh, would you put a solo on it? He goes, yeah, I don't know the chords. I go, man, I'll just yell them out to you because <laughs> I know, you know, it's, it was simple. Yes. So he picked up my tally. He plugged into my um, kidney. Is that what it's called? The kipod? Oh, yeah, the kidney pod. Yeah, love yeah. that, love that. The line six. Yeah, line six, yes. And away he went. He did one, this is no word of a lie, he did one take. He goes, I can do a better one. I said, no. No. That is so good. This was for stars. This was for stars. This was the demo. Shit off. Then when we went um, to Reggie's, we must have recorded, I must have recorded it the drums there Mm. and then we went back for the guitars maybe um i'm pretty sure we did all the drums there and i did things at home and then we went back um i said mate we've got to get this solo and and jack said well i can just do it again okay mate you'll never do that again i love you and you're brilliant you'll never get that moment again yeah so i took the adat To Reggie. Yes. And he chopped it into the song, that demo Made solo. It work, yeah. Well, it was in the same time anyway, because we probably had a click. Click going, so you just uh, sliced it in there. Yep. And um, Four Hands High is the only one we did use a click on. You know why? You, Peter Maslin from Boom Crash Opera. Okay. Who was in Erwin Thomas. The drums. Yes. He was the one on. No, no, Venom was on it. Oh. Ah. But I gave him a copy and he rang me up. He said, what did you do to Venom? I go, what are you talking about? He said, you gridded it, didn't you? And I went, yeah, we did. Yeah. He goes, mate, you've taken all his soul out. Right. Never did it again. There you go. And Venom fought us all the way on it. Why are you making me do this? Shut up, mate. Just do it. 
Oh, I practiced for 20 years. I'm not playing drum like that. Yeah, well, this is the way they do it now, mate. But he was right. And Maz was right. Crazy. We never did it again. Because I remember I had Venom on my first album for the Pass Outs. That was when I was just pulling every muso I could grab and just because I wanted these songs to live on. Mm. You know, even though I didn't have a band at the time other than the bass player. And uh, Venom rolls in. He had a gig in between the actual session. So rolled in and set up at 10 a.m. or so and we played until about 4 and then there was about two-hour window where he had to kick off. I think it was. I think it was like the the Beatles show that possibly he was doing with Jack at the time. Maybe mm. I don't remember, but mm. it was something in the city which he didn't have to take his drum kit with. He had right. another one set up at the stage. What year? This was two thousand and eleven. No. So, yeah, that was when it was, and yeah, he didn't use a click. So he and he was just solid, and so that was the first day we did all of the tracks with Venom, ten songs mm. in the can, and then I brought everyone back in. I obviously did my rhythm guitar tracks over the top and vocals. My bass player, we kept a lot of the stuff that he did on the bass and on the day with Venom because yeah, yeah. he locked in with him on the yeah, day, yeah. Um, and then just redid a couple here and there, um, but. Mm. it was fine because everyone after they heard the track it didn't matter that there was no click because it's a fucking monster like you could just hear the groove and just play Mm. along with it you know it was great so Mm. um, it's interesting to to say that how he was kind of fighting you on initially even having to do a click Mm. (laughs) and then uh, well it's the way Reggie worked his computer as well yeah because Reggie was so good at it so good as Pro Tools in that early stage yeah. yeah, his hand would run. He used to have the ball, the ball. You'd move your hand with the ball, and yes. the, and the arrow or whatever would go, and that's how he did it. There was no, you didn't move the mouse. No, you moved the ball. It was like one of those old Command Eight units or whatever. Probably, yeah, yeah, far out. Yeah, it's pretty good though. That's cool, man. And you guys are fucking two of the world, dude. You've done Europe, you've done mm. the states, all around Australia, festivals. Mm. Uh, hell, hell fest in in Europe, um, Japan. You guys mm-hmm. have done. Yeah, we did Japan. O- of of all of those shows, Rusty, what what sticks out in your mind? Um, that's I mean, this is a big bloody question, but just just see if you can answer it. If you can, before we wind up, of all those Electric Mary gigs, which one has given you that you know that feeling of like, yes, this is the fucking tits, man. Like, Hellf- I can't believe Hellfest. Hellfest. That's the one when we were singing. I was, uh, you know, each singer has their certain moves. So I was spread-eagled with my hands out like this. Yes. And I'll tell you, again, without any word of a lie, I looked into the audience. The band was playing. I wasn't singing. And I was right in the middle. And I went, have a look at me. I'm from West Heidelberg. And these people are singing our songs. Yeah. That's all I could think of. I'm from West Heidelberg, man. Yes. It's not exotic <laughs> no. at all, but that's where I've come come from and here I am. Here's, yeah. I don't even know how many was there. It was early morning, so there might have been 15,000, whatever. Whatever. 65 during the day, but that was my moment. So that out that outdoes the David Coverdale moment because yeah. I never ended that story, which was three hours ago, folks. After we did the sound check, the White Snake, the manager said, after the gig, you get changed, you get all your gear and you get out. 
because the boys want they had two floors they wanted all the room huh. no worries sing the song i turn to go to pete I don't, can't remember what I was singing. And Coverdale side of stage with his arms folded. And I'm like, oh, I wobbled. I wobbled, oh. man. That's my hairbrush guy. Yes. Turn the other way to go back. And there's his band filming us and giving us thumbs in the air. And yes. So great. So with gig finishes, I rush inside with Nilo. Alex wasn't in the band at that time. Nilo was on the bass. Mm. Getting changed. Coverdale walks in, puts his hand out. And says, fucking great show, man. Did a U-turn and walked out. That was it. Never saw him again. Never saw him again. Even when we played in Europe, never saw him. He walked past our band room once and Pete told the story, but he got the lyrics wrong. (laughs) Coverdale said, Electric Mary in the house. (laughs) I heard Pete say it on his thing, but I think he's, I believe he's got it wrong. But yeah, he just walked past our band room, never saw him. Jeez. He just ghosted you, say. Yeah. He didn't want to know because Pete told the truth. He didn't want us on. He had a go at Timothy Drury about that, the keyboard player. That's right. I remember now. Yeah, Pete, um, Timothy told us. But, you know, I had a funny story. And I know we're going to wrap it up. The other day I was on Twitter, which oh. I don't go on much. No. And Glenn Hughes had written this thing. So Hughes and Coppardale from Deep Purple had written this thing about something in Deep Purple. And I answered it saying, you know, mate, I still listen. Because we play with Glenn Hughes as well, right? Right. He took us out to dinner. I still listen to those songs. They're so good. They're whatever years old, 35. I don't care how many years. They're great. Yeah. And Coppardale gave my answer the thumbs up. Ah, help, mate. And then... Glenn Hughes, uh, no, Coverdale gave two clinking glasses, like, cheers. Oh, cheers, yeah. Sent their little emoji there. Yes, and um, Glenn Hughes put the thumbs up. And um, we have a mutual friend, Johnny Landry the third. Right. He's an American guy, huge fan of Coverdale. Yeah. And he wrote underneath something like, you're as good as these guys. That was the end of the conversation. <laughs> So I messaged Johnny and said, don't say that. What are you doing? It's son? all over. He didn't care. He's great, mate. He's, he's, I think he's coming to Australia, actually. There you go. Um, yeah, we've, I met him in Russia this year. Just, yeah. Wow, man. That's awesome, dude. Go Johnny Landry. I'm, I'm so glad you had that moment um, at Hellfest where you can look back on those days, on, on all of the days, obviously, with Mary. Because obviously, you guys are you're kicking goals right now, man. You're going yeah. to be doing the album launch on Feb 23rd at yeah. Memo Music Hall. Mm-hmm. Who are you playing with? Is it just you guys or you got some um, support acts? No, we've got no support acts. So what no. we're doing is we're um, having a listening party first. Okay. So you, you'll purchase your ticket for... A small amount more than the normal ticket. Yes. And you'll come to the listening party for a meet and greet and we'll do all that. Then the doors will open for anyone who doesn't want to come to that and just yep. come and watch us play yep. for a cheaper price. Yeah, right. So you'll actually have the album playing yep. and meeting the fans. And we'll interview. I'm going to get somebody to interview us about the album so that people aren't just – so I'm imagining we're up on chairs Yes. and somebody's talking to us about the first – because it's, an, because it's a vinyl as well, we'll talk it in two spaces, side A, side B. Right. And get us, instead of just eight songs. So he, whoever that is, 
might be you. Says dog. <laughs> Says dog. Come on. <laughs> yeah, you want to do it? Dude, I would love to do that. Job's on. Fan- Job's yours. Fantastic. All right. Job's yours. So well, you interview us about the album. I'll have to give you a copy now. Yeah, most definitely. And we can talk about four songs. Yeah. And we'll play the four songs. Stop. Then you talk about the next four songs. Yes. And that way that'll it'll take 45, 50 minutes. And You're essentially describing a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Interview style podcast. We could even record it, man. Yeah. Let's that, record it then. That'd be wild. Yeah. And then, then they'll get to hear the album. Yeah. And especially your fans um, not from uh, Melbourne could still get that, you know, content, mm-hmm. which would be really, really cool. Yes. Yeah. Far out. Let's man. do it. We're doing it. Dude, Are we lock- doing it? Dude, it's locked in, it's mate. It's locked in. Don't have to ask me twice. 23rd That's- of February. That sounds great. Um, and then the very next day, apparently, you're, you're doing a festival in South Australia? Yeah, we're going to do the Fringe Festival there. Yeah. Um, and then we're coming back and we're going to Mornington on a Wednesday. On the Wednesday, we're going to play. They've Whoa. locked us in for a Wednesday night, which really makes me happy. And it takes me back to the start of this podcast where people went out on a Wednesday because yeah, they didn't say, ever say, oh, it's a school night, I can't come. No. And I said to someone not long ago, mate, when you're 70, you won't remember you went out on that Wednesday night. No, yes. Or, or, or that it, sorry, you remember you went out or that it hurt you the next day when you're at work or you were tired or whatever. No. You won't care, mate. You just go to the show. That's it, man. Just go to the show, enjoy the music, and you're going to love it. Yeah, sacrifice that couple of hours extra sleep that night to go enjoy it yourself. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. You're not gonna. It's, it's not going to be the end of your world. No. Exactly. It's going to be the start of your universe. There you go, man. Mm. Thank you so much for joining us on The Art of Touring uh, tonight, today, whenever you're listening. Um, Rusty Brown, Electric Mary. It's been really great to talk to you, man. Thank you. And obviously, if you are listening to this, make sure you go and follow Electric Mary on all their social channels. You've got Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, you guys were even one of the very first bands in Australia, um, to, to be fair, that made MySpace a thing, man. I remember yeah. MySpace oh. was huge for you guys. God. It's not anymore. I actually nostalgically looked you guys up today on MySpace. I didn't know what it was all these ads. I didn't know what was happening, but Do I you remember know, back in the day it was huge. MySpace is how we got found. Yeah. Absolutely. A French company found us. Yes. We were doing the definition of insanity yes. and he wanted an album. So that's how we made Down to the Bone. We had to make the other five songs ah. to make Down to the Bone. So that's why it's half definition insanity, insanity and, and half, five new I songs. that. There you go. That's yes. why. Yeah. Crazy. That was my space because when you clicked on, songs came up and you listened straight away. Yes. You know, I'd... I'd love to know what the passwords or even what the uh, the entries are for that because I wouldn't have a clue. I've been on mine. I've looked at my one. I had my own face, uh, MySpace. Space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the songs there. I've left all the demos up of these other songs I was writing. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's cool as, man. That's cool, man. And was there even a lyric in one of your songs? MySpace or maybe I'm mishearing. No, no, no. No, no MySpace. No, no MySpace. I don't think so. Yeah. Don't think so. There you go, man. Well, again, man, thank you so much for coming. And um, I'm going to hold you that. Uh, on Feb You're 23rd, on. I'm the interviewer. Yeah. Sizdog. It's going to be a special episode of The Art of Touring live at Memo yeah. Music Hall. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. See you later. Cheers, Bye. Rusty. See you, buddy. See you, mate. Bye.
And that is a wrap. Sizzlers, episode 40. All done. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, give this old podcast a share on the social medias. Yeah, use that hashtag. Get it out. Hashtag Art of Touring Podcast on Instagram. And give us a follow at Art of Touring Podcast. And, you know, follow us on the uh, Facebook page as well, Art of Touring Podcast. Give us a like. Um, And if you did like uh, the podcast then fucking maybe get your shit together, Siriani, because you're fucking this outro up completely. <laughs> let's, t- let's try that again. If you'd like to get in contact with me, there we go, please email me directly at artofdouringpodcast at gmail.com. Maybe you'd like to come on the show. If you're a touring muso or a performer or a wrestler, then hit me up, send me a message um, to the email address or um, slide into the DMs at the Art of Turing podcast on Instagram. You can listen to Art of Turing on Wooshka and you can download it on iTunes. If you've enjoyed this episode, take a moment to give the podcast a rating within the podcast app on your phone and write a short review um, and stick around next week for another episode. These episodes of The Art of Turing are free. Like I've said before in this podcast, the uh, sponsors aren't real. They're made up every week. I have to figure out a podcast Sorry, a, a a sponsor for the podcast every week because there isn't one. So I have a little bit of fun with it. So, you know, uh, get in here for free. And all I ask is leave a review, man. Just get your phone out and go, Sis Dog, doing a great job. Love your podcast. Now let's get into some plugs. The theme music for The Art of Turing is a song called Start a Fire by The Passouts, which is available to stream on Spotify or download on iTunes. You can grab the whole debut album by The Passouts on all digital platforms. And if you'd like to grab a physical copy on either CD or glorious coloured vinyl or regular coloured vinyl, go to thepassoutsband.bandcamp.com where you can get all our merchandise, including T-shirts, stickers, posters and even and skateboards. Uh, if you'd like to see me play live, I'm doing an acoustic covers show on Australia Day, Saturday the 26th of January. I'll be at the Sporting Globe in Plenty Valley. So head down and say g'day between 8 and 11 p.m. Try their mac and cheese bites. They are insane. That's not a paid sponsorship, by the way. I just love their mac and cheese bites. That's all from me this week. Before I go, I do have a few shout-outs. Shout-out to Chris Wall, who designed the artwork for the show. You can follow him on Instagram at Mr. Wall, spelt W-A-H-L. Big thanks to my guest this week, Rusty Brown. Uh, You can follow Electric Mary on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and don't forget the lads will be launching their brand new album, Mother, at Memo Music Hall in Melbourne. Uh, Doors open uh, at 7 p.m. for a VIP listening party, which is hosted by yours truly. Um, I really hope that happens, man. So come on down, Rusty. You said it'll happen, man. I'm, 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 I'm gonna hunt you down, man. I want that gig. Uh, I'll be the. Uh, it'll be the very first live recorded episode of the Art of Touring. So look out for that one dropping very soon after the launch. Uh, general admission: the doors open at 9 p.m. and the price is 27 bucks plus a booking fee for the VIP listening party or just 20 bucks plus a booking fee for general admission. But if you're lazy, you just show up on the on the door on the night. It's 30 bucks for the listening party ticket and 23 for general admission. Uh, and the gig is happening on the 23rd of February. 
That's all from me this week. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next time for another episode of Art of Touring with a Sizdog. Ow, ow, ow! And remember, this week's podcast was brought to you by Patches O'Houlihan's Dodgeball Academy, where a sack of wrenches is the best way to learn how to dodge a ball. Um, yeah, so basically, it's an interview-style podcast, mm-hmm. um, kind of moulded on um, like Mark Merrin, you know, this guy. Um, I think I do. Is he the ball the guy? No, that's Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. He, so Mark Merritt and Joe Rogan are the, like the two heavy hitters in the podcast world. Mm-hmm. Um, and they both do that interview style thing. I, I'll, I'll watch like a best of like a 10 minute, you know, snippet of Joe Rogan, but I won't listen to his whole podcast because it, it does go for a long, long time, mm-hmm. like over an hour usually. Whereas Mark Merritt is a little bit more digestible, maybe maybe within an hour or Mark maybe Marin just Mark Merritt sounds like an old wrestling name. Was there ever a guy called something Merritt? There was, there was Mario Milano. <laughs> no, no, no. No, in the WWE, Merritt. Oh, oh, you mean Mark Merritt? Right, maybe. Yeah, Mark Mirror. He, he he was um, a wrestler, and his his kind of persona was like that. He was a boxer. Mm. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and he was that's he right. would come out with right. um, Stone Cold's ex missus yep. Deborah. Yeah, yeah. And there Deborah. was an angle there where she would always yeah <clears throat> go with the other dudes. Deborah.